Hello, and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast, your one stop for co-op news and reviews. This week, Jason Perez is here to entertain you with some more shelf stories. Yo, my peoples, what's up? Welcome back to Shelf Stories and the One Stop Co-op Shop. Uh, I have here two gents from across the pond. I'm here in America, Connecticut. Uh, These two gentlemen are coming at you from Great Britain. I think that's what you call it now, right? Uh, England something. (laughs) (laughs) We are both England. Most hated nation, I think, is what we call it. (laughs) Uh, So um, they have joined me. It is 1030 at night over there, so I am not going to waste a lot of time uh, with the introduction. Uh, First of all, I would like to introduce uh, the man on the bottom who has a chess set back there. Yes, this is a solo gaming show. Uh, He is willing to show you how much (laughs) he loves solo by showing you his chess. Uh, You probably recognize him from his channel, um, Ricky Royal, the Box of Delights channel. This is the man himself, Richard Wilkins, a.k.a. Ricky Royal. Hi, Jason. Thanks for having me. Nice to see you. All right. Uh, a, a multi-time guest of my old podcast, Every Night is Game Night, so always welcome back on the show. Speaking of multi-time guests, we've had a, uh, this man has been on to preview a lot of his games. Uh, he is a publisher. He is the, um, the head of Hall or Nothing Productions. He is also the host of the Board Chitless Podcast uh, and general all-around uh, good chap. He is Tristan Hall. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Great to speak to you again, Jason. And brilliant to have Richard on as well. Uh, I, this is my COVID cure right here, <laughs> having these conversations. You guys saw Top 100 Solo. That was like, that got me through. Like uh, when I did it, so when I did Top 200, uh, I know, but we're just going to, we're just talking here. So, <laughs> uh, um, well, actually uh, I'll introduce it. I'll introduce a topic. So first we're going to talk about Tristan's game, which is Vale Wraith. We're going to talk about Ricky's game, which is Renegade, which just came out a couple years ago. We have an update on that. And then we have a design quote unquote topic. Um, so just to kind of lay the, the groundwork of what we're officially going to cover, but I want to catch up. Uh, <laughs> first of all, I want to catch up with what you guys are up to. Uh, and from my perspective, so I, I, you guys know what I've been up to. I've been up to, you know, starting a YouTube channel and these videos and like the four video we did with the top 200 and a couple other conversations, they are absolutely getting me through COVID. Like I can't even, you know, like, and it's, it's actually better than the podcast. Like, I just like seeing people's faces. Like, they don't get as much clicks because YouTube is weird with, like, conversations. You can't, like, skip through them. And they give you ads right in the middle of somebody's sentence. <laughs> Lots to do it. But at least I can see people's faces. So, and I like the multi-person setup, too. So that's what I've been up to. Uh, maybe you guys can talk to us about what you guys been up to for COVID across the pond. I did catch your uh, uh, top 200 countdown video, actually. It was really lovely to watch and see Kevin and the other guys as well. And, and uh, like you say, it's just it's a distraction away from yeah. all this yeah. mess. And it came we're... right in the middle of our election. So people, I got a lot of messages going, thank you for giving me a distraction. <laughs> it was great to watch. It was a great dynamic as well. So I think Liz and um, Kevin had a more of a similar taste at times. And then... Um, yourself michael had different tastes at other times and that's one of the things that i think that top 200 shows is how diverse solo gaming has become and it's sure yeah. there is something for everybody and you uh, were the originator of the top 100 solo you did that list way before the people's choice because i remember looking at it when i first broke in and some of the games in the bottom were a little rough <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that was probably um every game i owned yeah <laughs> started out as a top two i just had to own it to make it on the list (laughs) 
So, uh, so uh, we'll start with Tristan. What have you been up to uh, during this COVID uh, transition over here? Um, I, I, I tend to be obsessive about whatever it is I'm doing. So if it's playing, I'll play something, you know, a deep dive into it. And um, since I had the my office put into place um, this year for the first time, I've, I've got a space where I can play games and stuff. I've been getting into uh, the games that I couldn't physically put out in our old house, like Shadows of Brimstone, which is like a massive table eater. Um, and I managed to assemble all of the miniatures from all of the massive minecart pledge and everything. So they're all out on display. Um, and in terms of games, like it's what I'm playing at the moment is guided by either what I want to do solo or what me and my little boy will play. And mm. he loves like miniatures games, like Zombicide and stuff like that. So um, that's been like the play side of it, but actually I've not really had much time to play because most of it's been work stuff related. I mean, which, you know, I make games, so it's kind of still play anyway. Yeah. But um, at the moment, like everything's been thrown out of whack because of COVID and everything else and uh, delays have occurred on Vale Wraith, which is my latest game. Um, most of them are down to me, actually. Most of the delays because I've been um, having talks with the factory to try and get the game as, as best it can be, basically. Um, but I've taken the opportunity to really carry on working on the game itself and, and honing it and, um, and getting all of the boring administrative stuff behind the scenes set up, the logistics and shipping and all of that kind of nonsense. So it's just, it's been pretty full tilt actually recently, um, just working and trying to keep all the social media channels going and the comments and replying to emails. And we've had sort of a steady, we've always had um, like steady orders, never like, you know, blitzes. Um, and of course, because there's no conventions this year, we've kind of, uh, we've bought loads of extra stock, which normally we'd be able to clear down at conventions and stuff. And now we're trying to have to find ways to get it out through other distribution channels. And God, I'm boring myself with this, <laughs> but, yeah, working hard, working late, but, um, you know, getting the new house in order and, uh, and finding as much time for play as possible. And, I mean, and, it's, it's, it's heartening to know because there was a like when it first hit right in what was it march april may like just everything shuts down everything stopped like china was shut down like in february march you just didn't get anything so now i'm starting to get like the kickstarter updates for stuff i backed two years ago and it's like oh i forgot i backed that <laughs> so it's actually exciting to know like on the on the logistics side things seem to be kicking up even you know as things kind of work out so that's good to hear it really is definitely and we, we were lucky with Oh, sorry, Rich. No, I was just going to say, how long ago was the Bailwraith Kickstarter? How long has it been now? Uh, I, just, I'm, I probably have to double check that. Was it April this year? Uh, mm-hmm. I know it was a finished game then, because so I previewed it for you. And one thing that surprises me is with you, Tristan, is you'll just keep perfecting it. So has, <laughs> have you found, when you keep changing things and saying, this could be better, this could be better, have you found that because things have slowed a little bit, what we call we, as as a designer, I call it at the at the, the at the altar syndrome. You think you've finished, but you're there. But you just keep tweaking and you keep tweaking. Have you found that this has prolonged your perfectionism a little bit? Definitely. There's there's a, a fantastic quote from the movie director David Fincher who said that art is never finished; it's only abandoned. And and he was probably paraphrasing somebody else. And I 100% agree with that. So every single day of delay on any of my projects means tinkering. And that means uh, adding stuff in or, or clarifying stuff. Uh, literally, even tonight, I've got Veilray set up here. I was playing 
uh, vignette number 16 again um and i found uh, i found like a little you know if i capitalize one word it will really help emphasize it and it will tie into the rule book more so i'm going to go back and change that you know and just all of those tiny little minutiae that, that really bugs me or even still picking up on typos and things but um and of course your suggestions ricky which have been fantastic you know um he's been playing with the pre-production copy and spotted a couple of things here and there like uh, either rules clarifications that could be tidied up and for me now specifically with for example, Gloomy Kilforth, which is going into its fourth print run next year. Um, each time, if there's... Hey, there it is. If, if there's any... In um, the middle of filming a review for the Dice Tower, I was waiting for you to mention it. <laughs> Brilliant, that's good. Um, yeah, so, like, if someone asks a rules question on, on Board Game Geek, and, and um, perhaps the ruling in the rule book could be, you know, 1% clearer then I will definitely go back and change, change it. And I, I see rule books as like a living document, you know, that, that can be tweaked. And I don't have, I don't have the, um, the guts to say that any of my games are perfect. You know, they could always, certainly the rule books could always be tidier and cleaner and, and you know, you, you can clarify card text to make game rules, mechanics clearer um, or better, you know, um, so yeah, I always consider if, if there's a way that I can improve something, I'll, I'll do it. And, and having delays on a project like Veil Wraith has let me really sort of deep dive into that. And, and even going so far as adding icons for all the different card types, you know, which didn't exist previously. Uh, just now, if you're fanning through the cards, you know, if, if you're setting up the game for another game or whatever, and you just want to quickly get to memories or keys, or, you know, these are different card types in the game. Um, they've got a little icon now. So it's just, you know, it just helps you just get there so much faster. Uh, and so little things like that are just just elevate it, just keep elevating it, you know, and uh, hopefully I'm not over-tinkering. You know, it's not just going to become an absolute uh, overabundance of iconography and stuff. But yeah, no, I think it's a great opportunity to just revisit it. And also, as it happens, because I've been preoccupied with administrative stuff, I've really got back into playing the game again and sort of falling back in love with the, with the, the game design because I think, as you mentioned earlier, it's quite... It's, it's a few years old now. I, I, I don't know if you guys know, back in the day, it was going to be um, so Manic, actually, Manic Minor. You should just like probably step back and just get into what this, we're talking all about it, but we, I don't <laughs> think people re- really know what it is. So we'll get back okay. to Ricky in a second. <laughs> Everything that you're doing. <laughs> and we got plenty of time. So actually, let's just take a step back and tell the peoples what Vale Wraith is. Okay. Uh, so Veilwraith is a card game primarily designed for a solo player. Um, it takes place after the end of the world and a, an extinction event has occurred that's wiped out all life in this fantasy world. It's basically set after Gloom of Killforth. Basically, if you imagine um, the heroes in Gloom of Killforth are fighting back a, a, an evil tide of gloom that's destroying the land and these ancient beings that are causing the gloom to spread. And Gloom of Killforth gives you that moment of hope where the heroes can destroy the bad guys and win. So Veilwraith imagines they haven't won. They've lost. All the heroes have been wiped out. The demons have won. The land has been engulfed in gloom and all the color and life and love has been stolen from from the planet. And so by an impossible twist of fate, you are an ethereal being sent back to undo the wrongs and to bring life and color back into this empty and and blistered uh, broken world so uh, how that works in terms of the game it's a card game and it in the game you kind of have um five scenarios that you're working through as as like a mini campaign 
uh, with the expansion, you have another 15 scenarios. So you could have like a 20 scenario campaign uh, th- that's all linked together. And you are this, yeah, this sort of strange being who's going back and, and interacting with the memories of the world that's come before. So it's definitely my most abstract game in terms of like the theme is quite sort of out there, so a little bit wacky, like a post-apocalyptic type of ghost world. Um, but mechanically, it's very different from anything else I've done. And it was designed primarily, as I said, as a solo game. But as I was playing it and playing it with the family, uh, we realized how quickly uh, we, we'd be able to turn it into a multiplayer game. So you can play it um, cooperatively or competitively, but each person would require their own copy of the game. Um, and you'd either be racing against each other to be the first bail wraith to, to complete each scenario or working cooperatively for you all to beat it together kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it's got, it's got some interesting mechanics that I've been flirting with and, and uh, I'm really enjoying it. It's, for me, it's quite an addictive sort of gameplay and it's one where win or lose, you want to just set it back up again quite quickly. And, and check out uh, Ricky Royal Box of Delight channel. You have plenty of videos. Like you don't have just one. I think you have a, uh, and it's funny to watch it on different stages of the development. So you have the one from the Kickstarter and you have one for the pre-production and uh, Ricky's never shy in terms of uh, making comments about like, oh, this will change and there's this. <laughs> Ricky's done a better job of talking about the changes than I have. <laughs> Sorry, the artwork's, the artwork's still very um, kill forth, isn't it? Because you're yes. same. Yeah, it's it's um, one of the same. It's all black and white, yeah. Correct. Yeah. So all of the life and color has been sucked out of the world. So the whole game, the box, the rule book, and everything is all monochrome. Um, which, again, given how colorful and sort of vibrant the Killforth games are, I wanted a really distinctly different visual aesthetic um, and quite a sort of dark you know world and um so jose del nido is one of the lead artists on that and he's just got such a brilliant style um that yeah it, it's just it, i think it looks really distinctly different and, and interesting yeah although some people hate black and white art so <laughs> who knows it's one of my favorite favorite cards from the base set the uh, <laughs> gary clown yeah uh, if you're listening on the podcast version of the Co-op Shop, Ricky is having a great time coming through all of this art. Showed us the the clown from It, <laughs> and he's worth over there. <laughs> so I guess mechanism-wise, what would we equate this to? Because we've had a couple of solo journey card games. I think of Unbroken in particular. Um, you know, like Friday in its own way is kind of like this kind of progressive thing. So, like, what would you like? I guess give the people a sense for like, what is this like mechanically? Okay. So, um, simplistically speaking, you're, you're basically, you have your own deck of, your, <laughs> like, how do I take my genius and boil it down? <laughs> you shouldn't be prepared for this question. <laughs> I shouldn't have done some research on this game. Who designed this game? Tris um, is like, what? I can't just explain the theme and you're not in love. What? <laughs> I'm just hoping he doesn't ask the same question for Renegades. <laughs> People know I Renegades. I can't wait till we get to that. <laughs> Could you ask him first? Um, it's, so basically, yes, you, as, as the Veil Wraith, you have, um, you're equipped with the memories of the world that's gone before. You have a deck of memories, uh, and memories can be of hope or love or strength. And you use these memories to tackle the threats that are still uh, hanging around this world. So for... So there are different types of threats that you'll come across. There's a threat deck that will each turn throw a card at you and you'll use your memory cards to try and overcome it, uh, whatever that threat is. And it could be 
uh, a ghost, uh, a deja, we call them, that are like these trapped spirits who are left behind because they had an attachment to the world or they were uh, murdered or they have some kind of um, tie to this broken world. Or there are anima, which are evil, uh, malicious demons and beasts and things that are actually sent to track you down and destroy you by the, the overlord that's, that's ruined and destroyed the world. And so mechanically how that breaks down is you have three different ways you can interact with each threat that comes out of the threat deck. You can explore, you can influence it, or you can fight it. And you have a track of actions, explore, fight, and influence. And each of those actions is under a number, one, two, or three. So at any given point, one of your actions will be in the three spot and one will be in the one spot. Hmm. So if your fight is in the three spot and you attack a three fight threat, you you destroy it and you, you beat the threat and you move your fight action to the bottom of the row. So basically it pushes the other two actions up. So your fight is now at one and the other actions are now at two and three. So you have this sort of, you can basically, as this, as this veil wraith, you're emphasizing on one particular focus each round, you know, whether that's fight, influence or explore. Um, but it's not as simple as that because every, every threat will come out where it might have six or seven or eight or nine fight or, influence or whatever and it'll every single threat in the game has a different ability which will mess with you in some way uh, you have a life track which like a, a spirit dial if you lose 20 life you're at, you know you lose the game and any threat that you don't overcome in one round will damage you at the end of that round so you use your memory cards to interact with threats in different ways you can ignore certain threats or you can boost your abilities or you can add power tokens to your abilities which uh, which increase the numbers you can combine memory cards together by discarding a bunch of them to add power to one specific action um, and it's quite can, uh, like specialized one way and like rely on that specialization for that particular thing. And then if you get something that requires a lot of like influence, you can kind of like bump that temporarily because exactly. it leads against your specialization. So you kind of like bounce back and forth. I, when I, while I was watching Ricky's playthrough, I'm like, well, okay, I, I, I can feel that. Like uh, my, my DM brain got tickled because, you know, when I would DM, I never wanted like my group to do one thing. Like I wanted them to fight. I wanted them to explore. What is it? Fight, explore, interact with the three pillars of like, you know, good role playing. And, yeah. you know, for them, it was like fight, fight and fight. So it's like, <laughs> <laughs> so like, no, don't fight this thing. The monsters, get the treasure. <laughs> that thing is level 20. You're level five. Just talk to it. <laughs> Negotiate. <laughs> well, yes. It's very, um, it's very much a campaign game, right? Tristan, so like I was playing this afternoon and, and I'm on, you said you were testing 16, I'm on, I was playing vignette four. And <laughs> you, you start the game with um, five ribbons and she's like your health or how many chances you get, right? So I've, I've just, I just lost on vignette four again. So I'm down to three ribbons right now. Mm. So not great. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of, it's not quite deck building, it's not quite deck construction. You start with a basic deck and then between um, vignettes they play relatively quickly right you can upgrade one card sometimes the success in a vignette lets you upgrade another card so in between games you've got that little idea of, you just change one or two cards so you're not having all that pain of constructing a deck which sometimes can be quite you know a game in itself but it's one or two cards but then the campaign continues right so how many um how many vignettes is the whole story with you once you add the expansion so yeah, there's, there's 20 vignettes altogether. And um, it's really, as you say, it's sort of a, a deliberately slow, slowed right down deck building where you, you literally, your deck of 20 memories, 
you change one card after each game. You can remove one card and you can add a, add a new, uh, better, improved card. Um, and that definitely was inspired by me coming back to games like Lord of the Rings, the card game, after a few years of, of not playing it and loving the game and playing the latest scenarios and just getting rinsed, just getting absolutely mullered because I hadn't moved on with all of the new deck builds that had come out and stuff. And then I'm like... I know a lot of people really love deck construction and that's that's half the game is like getting your magic the gathering deck together to go and you know waste your mates and stuff um, but I also think that there's a flip side to that for people like me who perhaps don't have <clears throat> excuse me as much time or or um, or, or, or ability or, or enthusiasm I don't want to do that. interest give me a interest. deck and go yeah <laughs> exactly give me a deck and go and 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 so and certainly like with 1066 my other games the history games you literally just shuffle the deck and off you go and and so with um Veilwraith, I wanted that barrier to entry to be so low that the first time you play it straight away um you play the game and then you're like oh, okay cool so there was quite a few fight threats in that vignette i'm going to increase my fight card so i'll just swap out a fight card for a better fight card and then the next vignette you'll play that and you'll be like oh i should have gone for influence i'll get another influence card kind of thing you know and and then you'll be like oh this one lets me draw two memories instead of one you know and and all of a sudden these different abilities start to emerge and you'll you'll find your own personal value of speaking to some of the play testers they're like yeah i like a fight build or i like to i like just drawing cards and just getting all the cards that give me more cards kind of thing um and so in, initially if you're on vignette four ricky then you've had basically four upgrades ish um by 20 you know by the last you'll have changed your deck 20 times and so the variables by the time you get to that point are absolutely huge and so what i'm still trying to do at this stage is make sure that it's still tight as possible when you get Altogether, to that and you don't yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah you can't just walk over the 20th scenario like my deck is so unbelievably you know killer now like the game can't stop me or you know the flip side where you're just like oh i'm upgrading my deck 20 times or why am i getting murdered every single time <laughs> so it's it's a real fine line to tread but it's been really fun a fun sort of um design exercise to try and you know tighten the nuts and bolts of that and i think probably spinning out over 20 scenarios was was like probably a silly idea maybe i should have just stuck to 10 you know um, you've done that but you didn't really need to it's like i guess one parallel is like arkham horror lcg where you're doing a similar thing the difference with bell rate is you know in arkham horror you'll do a scenario you'll change some cards and you'll whether you win or lose you move on but with Valwraith, you can't move on until you've succeeded. And that was, I guess, is a dangerous thing because you might say, well, I've got to play the same scenario again. But what you've done also, well, you can tell people, is, you, is you've layered in lots of variability. So you'll play this scenario, but the setup for the scenario is going to be different each time you play, um, which is really neat. So that's really cool. So I know I'm going to play Vignette 4 again, but I don't know what cards are going to come out, what, what threats I'm going to face. I kind of know. But I don't know if there'll be, you know, there, there's going to be variability through them um, and the order they come out and everything else. So that's really cool. Yeah, there's there's uh, a lot of variety within the same card types. So um, if you if you have a scenario that has, say, two uh, uh, wraiths or something or two goblins, um, then those there might be four goblin cards and they're all different you know the stats are all slightly different you might get the two hardest ones or you might get the two easiest ones or you might get the one hardest and 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 then there's each uh, threat deck is made up of 30 cards so there's like there's a, a big variety in threats but you will know which foes you're up against and some of the vignettes are definitely designed to wrong foot you so you'll get to hopefully you'll get some of the later ones and be like what you know i was completely unprepared for that but now now it's beating me i know how to go back in whereas there are certain games uh, 
you mentioned Arkham Horror LCG. I've, I've played a few of those scenarios where I'm just like, I don't even know what I would have, how I could have done any better. You know, <laughs> like it would take me uh, like some advanced study class to figure out how to get past that scenario with with the build that I had kind of thing. Um, you can, I think you can get away with like making people play again if it's fast. You know, if, if it's, it's fast. like you, you fast it, you know, you, you're done in like, if it's fast, not just the gameplay, but like resetting up. Like, yes. you know, I think the thing people got frustrated with like a game like Gloomhaven was you're playing the whole thing, you lose, now you got to set everything up and it takes another hour plus to kind of move through it. And that was our last game of the thing. So I have to break it down. But I, people were like, nah, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Like, I'm just going to win. <laughs> we'll just say we won. <laughs> well, no, I get, I get that. And, and, um, Gloomhaven specifically, I was playing with my son and, and he kind of bowed out after we, we replayed a, a scenario three times to try and get the treasure chest, you know, and because oh. if you get that treasure chest, at least you get the, and he was just like, nah, I've had enough. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, yeah, but, um, and I get that because as you say, it takes a couple of hours to play through. So luckily with, with Vale Wraith, you know, it's, it's 20 or 30 mm-hmm. minutes per scenario, unless you, unless you really got an analysis paralysis. Uh, but also there is um, a rule in the rule book to skip to a scenario. So if you, um, let's say if scenario 14 or something is, is kicking your ass, you can, you can play it outside of a campaign. You can just jump straight to it, upgrade your deck to take it on, work out how to beat it and then go back and play the campaign. And when you get to it, you'll be more prepared for it next time. So um, yeah, I was really conscious of somebody getting that far into the game and be like, no, why did I lose now? (laughs) You could cheat it a little bit and give yourself more ribbons and stuff, but the game does, does reward you with, with, there is oh, as, as you go on. Because you, you're not cheating anyone. Nobody's watching. <laughs> nobody's, nobody's gonna tell. No one's ever watching. <laughs> uh, so that is Veil Wraith. Uh, it was kickstarted back in a, a earlier 2020. Um, when everything kind of happened so you know i think the community really stepped up you know people were afraid it's like okay should i launch i mean this is what what's people have lost their jobs what's going to happen but i think the community really took it as a chance to kind of come together those projects that launched at that time people have a lot of fondness for because it gave them a distraction and it gave them something to look forward to uh so the community stepped up funded it and you know you are working on getting it out there we are gonna hopefully look forward to it and i guess 2021 yeah, quarter one, 2021. Um, we, we could have rushed it out at the end of this year, but the, there was just a, it was an opportunity to make a, you know, a few, I think, pretty important upgrades and mm-hmm. quality component upgrades. So, yeah, uh, quarter one, 2021. <laughs> Definitely look out for that one. All right, so we are going to get back to my friend over here. who uh, <laughs> we, got, we got a little swept up in the Hall of Nothing. <laughs> thing. But I definitely want to get back to my friend. Uh, oh, I love, I love, busy as I well. To, I love talking to Tristan and, and, and all, on all designers and publishers. And it's always interesting to hear yeah, too what publishers and designers play as well. So mm-hmm. it was good to know that. That's Absolutely. What, you, what do you so play? What, with, what do you play with your kids, Tristan? What do you play? Uh, yeah, uh, so uh, my boy loves like the miniatures games and stuff. So Zombie oh, Side yeah. and Shadows of Brimstone and, and things where you can kill stuff and, and level up and <laughs> things like that. We we do play some. Um, we pl- if if I can rope Francesca into joining us, if she's not too busy, then we'll play something like Seven Wonders or you know something a bit more uh, family orientated or um, the Escape the Dark Castle. You know, if it's if it's bedtime and he just wants a quick twenty minute game to extend that bedtime period, then uh, he knows he can wheedle something out of me. And uh, Escape the Dark Castle fulfills that sort of twenty minute window really nicely. So, uh, um, yeah, just I'm just looking around at the shelves now. Family games, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> oh, my Flashpoint. Daughter- 
My Sorry, daughter is yeah, five. Yeah. She's still playing the Enchanted Cupcake Party game. That's I can't nice. get her past that. <laughs> How old is she, Jason? She's five. Five. Yeah, we used to play. Um, oh, it was this little. What was it called? The uh, little dinosaurs that used to race around the track. What was it called Dino Race? Of course. It's <laughs> Yeah, that's what it says on the tin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was that was a super little game. We used to love that. Yeah. Nice. What yeah. you been up to? Uh, last couple of months. I mean, you're you you post a lot. Uh, the channel is you know it, it does get some stuff out there. A lot of your designs are out there. People are really complimentary of the, the Pax Premier design uh, because that was a big popular game in 2020. So what you uh, what have you been up to uh, the, the, in this land of COVID? yeah yeah there's more more time to be at home and, and do this stuff for sure but um yeah pax, pax premier second edition yeah that was a highlight of last year absolutely um, and this year it's been really well received i mean cole and, and drew um from from whirly gig have um, done a super job with the game um drew mostly did most of the development on the solo rules with me so it was really cool to work with, with drew and i know those guys are working on John Company as well. So we've been having a little bit of a chat back and forth. Not sure at the moment how much they want me to help, but we're talking about possibly helping with that. Um, uh, Renegade is obviously being rebranded um, next year, maybe. We, I still don't have dates. So that's with um, Tabletop Tycoon, who picked it up from uh, Victory Point Games. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh, when was that now? Beginning of... This year's gone so fast. It might have even been last year. I can't remember. Yeah, this it was last year. It was not, definitely last year. Last it was actually, but may have been like almost, we're getting to two years at this point. Wow. Because yeah. I remember talking about it last year. So we could talk about Renegade at this point. So Renegade has been on a journey. <laughs> it has, yeah. It we, really we, has been on a journey. I mean, um, if you go on the Box of Delights website, there's all designer diaries from the whole inception. We're talking a long time ago. Uh, it was picked up by Victory Point Games, which is at the time... Uh, it hadn't been purchased by Starling yet. They were still printing the boxes with the the the, the slit and the laser cut and all that kind of stuff. But Victory Points was known for solo, and Ricky Royal is known for solo, so it was a match made in heaven, right? Uh, and then, so it's published, and then in the midstream, it gets um, Victory Points get picked up by Starling. Oh no! Well, Star, Tabletop, uh, Tabletop, Tycoon. Tabletop Tycoon and the Starling yeah. is another imprint. So yeah. now Victory Points in this house. So it's like, okay, what's going on? Uh, Renegade gets a beautiful printing, which is right next to, uh, if we're watching the podcast or listening to the podcast, Ricky is sitting there right next to his game, <laughs> which is a wonderful thing. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, this was pre-Tabletop Tycoon days. So okay. yeah, when this was done. Uh, and uh, <laughs> Tristan has this copy as well. Oh, well uh, we done. All fans. And my, mine is right over there, in case you can't see it. <laughs> I, I got to check that out. Yeah, there it is. Um, okay, so um, and that's where we left off. You were on the you were on the show. You had did the preview. We did a review of it. We liked it. Um, and since then, it's it's been a real adventure. So I wanted to kind of catch up and see where uh, Renegade is going. Yeah. So we we I think we first talked about it in 2017 on Every Night's yeah. Game Night. Yeah, that was golly. Yeah, it does it does fly by, and and it was kickstarted then, and. The first copy that got made was the Victory Point Games, um, you know, the laser cut sooty tokens. Mm-hmm. And I still have that copy with, uh, with the little napkin. The, the, yep, the napkin. The <laughs> yeah, all that. So that, but it never got released that way. And, and at the time they were doing um, these more, um, like these gold, gold banner type um, releases. So Renegade went straight in there because it was a Kickstarter. 
um, they were kind of changing their model of entry point games. And yeah, they got, then, then they got acquired. We were ready, uh, we've done uh, the base game and we did two small expansion packs, you know, like the little ones they were doing for Nemo's War as well, these like mm -hmm. little spoiled small pack, pack expansions. And we've done two more. So two got published and then we had expansions three and four designed, artwork done, ready to go out. And that was, yeah, that would be February 2019. I think we were looking to do it. Um, but yeah, then it all got um, hooked up in the, in the, in the acquisition by um, Jan Yarrington and, and Tabletop Tycoon. Um, so yeah, they, they have um, Sparkworks and uh, Starling Games. People know Everdell, which has been a big success for them. Um, and yeah, then, then this year happened. <laughs> <laughs> so everything slowed down. Um, and then um, uh, it was kind of forced upon us that we had to change the name of the game. So I'm kind of in the midst of that too. I've not decided or we've not decided what name the game is going to be published as next time. But so let's just say there was a letter sent. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, this was not a choice. This was a kind of thing. I mean, it's just it, welcome to yeah. the gaming industry. Yeah. You know, a lot yeah. of stuff goes up on hands. I don't want to like kind of dredge up like like dirt or anything. But a letter was sent. This is not your choice. No, no, no. It's yeah, yeah. But it's an opportunity. So you look on the bright side. It's an opportunity. So I mean, it's, it's really hard as a publisher and and as a designer too, because you Tristan's in a in a fortunate position. You 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 know you you make your own destiny but as a designer when you sell a game to a publisher your name is on the box but ultimately you don't hold the purse strings and you don't make the decisions but you know so you you have a an enviable position but it's a risky position that you put yourself in Tristan so um yeah and for that you know envious again double-edged sword yes indeed. <laughs> um, but yes, it is. that's that works for me I mean this is just a hobby for me and this is you know this game is a is a vanity project more than anything for me it's and and I have the luxury to be able to make games that I want to play rather than want to make a profit but I know publishers will want to make it make it a successful um, successful game, but the the flip side to that is, and and one of the good things about joining up with Victory Point Games is, um, through Box of Delights, it opened that door to talking to Alan Emmerich and they knowing me and know and me knowing their games and me being able to say, this is a game you'll like, you know. Um, and I know Dan Arrington and, and Tabletop Tycoon like it too. And they um, give me a lot of freedom um, to influence them as much as I can. So if they don't, if I don't like something, I feel confident that they won't pursue it, you know? So if I sit, so it's like I get the final sign off. It feels like they give me a lot of respect that way, which is, which is wonderful. I mean, the truth is they'll say, you know, Ricky, if you want to walk away and leave it to us, feel free. But if you want to be involved, be involved as much as you want to be. But that's what it—that's mm -hmm. what it's about for me. It's about being involved, and because it's a passion, so it's, it's and, and that got, whole process is is, mm -hmm. is and so. In some enjoyable. way, you got lucky because I mean, they could have that like Victor Point could have been acquired by a company and just said, you know, we're not we're not doing anything with this. We're just going to sit on this, and it just kind of disappears into this kind of like IP development hell. And, you know, I was, you know, when I first heard about it, I'm like, oh man, what's going to happen to me? Yeah. You know, poor Ricky. But, you know, it sounds like they're, they believe in the product 
and they're going to rebrand. Uh, do we have a direction on the rebranding yet? or still No, no. I mean, it's the same game. I mean, the reason why, you know, when the acquisition happened, obviously, as a designer, you, you, I mean, I could have picked up the design and walks away. But, of course, I don't own the, the, the rights to the artwork and the game itself, just the design. So, I mean, I, one of the reasons why I want to stick with them is also because I want to continue with the same artwork, the same game, and make it the same game. I don't want to just pick up my bat and ball and walk away, you know? Um, this is about, I'm, I'm a gamer, and I know that if I bought this game, I'd want it to continue. But it's, it's hard, I don't know. Um, uh, it's been so long. Do they have the capacity to continue? I don't know. Um, will it be a success? I don't know. Um, so, you know, they have to trust and I have to, that, that I can make it interesting enough and that the game will stand up enough. So, but yes, they're very committed to it. They've, um, they've got a, a developer on board. Um, we've been working on stuff. And like I was saying, with, with, like Tristan was saying, the longer things are delayed, the more time you spend with it, you do keep tweaking. So although Expansion Packs 3 and 4, I said we're ready back February 2019, they just keep evolving because, <laughs> it, like, because it's, you, you never deliver a final product. It's right. always, you, you're always tweaking it. And amongst other things, I, I keep playing it. I pick it up every now and again and think, ah, I'm bored of that bit, let's change it, you know. Um, because I'm a player as well as a, a as a designer of it, so so yeah, they're 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 in the process of designing. I mean, one thing that people um, struggled with a little bit with with this game was the rulebook. So I know they're going to put a lot of focus on the rulebook. Um, I mean, I always made it. I always wanted it to be. I mean, one of my design checklist items was if I was a person who could only afford to buy one game. I'd want it to be this game. So I built it right. as to be something that you had to play again and again and again. And it wasn't like a game you could just pick up and play um, out of the box and then you play it 20 times and then put it away and, and move on to the next game. I wanted it to be the one game that you, you, you needed to have. So I want to put tons of stuff in it and it had to be a game you had to spend a lot of time with. And it was a risky strategy because it, I always knew it was not going to be a... Um, a popular game with reviewers because reviewers don't have that time, mm -hmm. right? I know a lot of reviewers have picked it up and just gone, I'm not even playing this thing. <laughs> I can't read that rule book. I can't learn the terms. I can't. And then they're just giving up straight away. You know, but that's fine. I didn't, I didn't make it for reviewers. I made it for players. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a game that not everyone will love, but it's a game that I love. And that's what I wanted it mm -hmm. to be. So yeah, we're doing more, we're doing more stuff. Um, I'm hoping it will still be compatible with first edition, but I, I don't know. And that's, that's, we'll have to see what ends up. Um, I mean, this is the thing with the name change. The only thing that's got the name on it is the box and the rule book. So it's no big deal, right? The components yeah, you're not changing like the, the, the cube upload and the, yeah, all that cool. jargon, yeah. <laughs> which yeah. we've spoken about before, Ricky. <laughs> yes, yes. So don't be afraid. Yeah, I keep saying people, don't be afraid of the jargon. Just say red and yellow and blue and green. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's right there on the player aid. It's yeah. the jargon is in your face. But yeah, so um, and one of the things I've been playing recently is Jaws of the Lion. Mm -hmm. And, and it's strange, every time you play, you, you always take a little bit away. And I know when people picked up Renegade, they said that they found lots of influences in there. Like, you know, it's like Pandemic or it's like Mage Night and wonderful comparisons for me. But one of the things that I've enjoyed with um, 
Jules' line is the the way they designed um, the it's it's a complicated game, but it's not complicated to learn because they did this introduction and made it like you start simple and then you layer in more and more complexity. So um, the luxury of time has allowed me to take that idea and I've been building scenarios for Renegade that um, do the same sort of thing. So I'm trying to create these missions that mm -hmm. start you off with real simple stuff and then just layer the rules in um, on top of each other. So I've been developing a lot of that recently uh, with the developers at Tabletop Tycoon just to try and nice. break that barrier to entry um, that I knew existed. Um, so yeah, yeah, that, that should be cool. I mean, again, it's going to be one of those things where you don't discover the whole game until you've played it lots. Mm -hmm. but that's, that's okay. This, that still ticks the box. Although what I will say is um, this was like right when the, the Kickstarter was happening and I, cause I took the sooty copy to my local library to just kind of get it, get it in front of people. And I still remember this and they were new to the game, hadn't been done, you know, um, they were playing, you know, whatever scenario, the basic scenario. And one of the people there just like was sat down. It's like, oh, this is okay. Oh my God, what's happening here? And then by the end, they were the green player and they had this massive Nova turn where they had nodes all over the place. And they were like trailing the little, like the, the spark thing. Like he like trailed it across like all the entire board and people were like, wow, you did that whole thing in one turn. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, I think like it does a decent job of, you know, like it throws a lot of you at, at once, but like in the game, you'll figure it out and you'll be able to kind of do something Nova-y at the end. Although, uh, and I'm, I'm thinking of Michael Kelly in particular, you know, one-stop co-op shop, um, you know, our, my confrere over here, um, who says about Renegade, um, the end game can be a little bit, you know, like I'm done with the game. Like, and I've, I've accomplished the mission before I've actually reached the final round. And then I kind of kind of play it out anyway. So I wonder if you just very briefly wanted to comment on that. Yeah. So um, it, is a, it is a game that you survive to the end and then you win. So it, it has been, it, it can be a little anticlimactic in that respect. Um, so yeah, I've been listening. And um, <laughs> so with uh, one of the expansion packs, which people have been downloading and playing on a print and play, though it has evolved quite a lot. Um, I introduced an endgame boss. Um, and since then, I've got about five more. So when you get, so the Renegade plays in, in cycles. I shouldn't call it Renegade. I think I'm not even allowed to say Renegade anymore, so I must stop. <laughs> this game here, the, the one in the blue box. Um, actually, if you go to my website. The game formerly known as Renegade. <laughs> yeah, it's my website. I've removed, I've removed the name from my website now. So, um, so you might see me dropping hints as to what it might become. But anyway, what I was trying to say was, you, in the game, you play through, through cycles, um, copper, silver, gold, so they get harder. Um, what I want to introduce with these, this new version, and I don't know if it will be part of the base game or the expansion yet, so that's a, that's a marketing decision, is an endgame boss. You know, like, a, like in a computer game, right? You get through the levels and then you've got to fight the end game boss. So you're on a computer, you've got to fight the end game boss. So you get through copper, silver, gold, and then the big boss arrives. Um, so it'll be one of uh, mother's minions will land on the network um, so, for example, one's um, called um, Tsunami. So when Tsunami hits, smashes down into the middle of the network, creates, creates a tsunami event that, that pushes a tidal wave of, 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 of um, badness across the network, destroys what you've built, 
um, and then you've got to, and then it's fight to the death. So, and instead of being um, three cycles, you know, when at the moment you go through, I play my five cards, I play my five cards, I play my five cards to get to the end of the round. With this final boss battle, it can be, if you, if you, if you win, you win and the game immediately ends. So it's kind of like that, that final win-loss thing. So I think, I hope people will like that. It's kind of, um, yeah, it adds that climax that people were missing, uh, which people like. So yeah, I, To me, I didn't think of it as so bad because it's a puzzly game. I'm looking at chess back there and your favorite games tend to be like the Hoplomachus and the chip theory, like puzzles, right? Yeah. And any veteran puzzle player knows you don't, like not every puzzle climaxes. Like sometimes you hit that one thing, you figure it out, then you kind of like play out the string, but it's like, it was satisfying enough to get to that one thing, like to solve the thing. And if I have to play it out, then I, what was I going to do at that time? Anyway, I'm just going to like play it on a, have a good time. So like, as long as the, as long as there's a satisfying puzzle in the game itself. It's then, an interesting uh, thing. Cause we talk about, um, I'm mean, obviously I play solo games. So I'm very influenced by solo. Um, and I know different, and what I've learned over the, these past few years of, of designing Renegade and listening to the feedback is understanding there's lots of different types of gamers. Right. And I know my game won't appeal to everybody, but as a soloist, um, and maybe this is something always, is, is the winning and the losing is not always the thing that means the most to me. Like one of my favorite games is um, Robinson Crusoe Adventure on the Cursed Island, where winning more often is, is eludes you anyway, but it doesn't <laughs> take away the enjoyment. And as, a, and as a soloist, it's about the journey, right? You, you know, I know when I'm trying to build that bleeding bonfire, I'm on my way to a defeat, but it, it's, the, it's the story that goes along with it. And you always die in a different and unusual way. Right. Yes, exactly. Poison, crocodile, starvation, <laughs> coal, piranhas. <laughs> yeah. So when I when I designed, it wasn't one of my key objectives. You know, one of the key objectives for designing was create drama and to create a story. And I think that's really important um, when you're designing. Because I did. Uh, let's be fair. I, I designed it primarily as a solo game. One of the things that wasn't on my checklist was have a great win-loss condition because it was have a great story, have mm -hmm. drama, have a great journey on the way to the end, mm -hmm. which is probably why I didn't focus on that climactic end like I should have done for the sake of people who, who like that. Um, in a multiplayer game, winning and losing is generally what the game's about. You're trying to beat the other person. Co-op games are different because you're winning and losing together and you can enjoy the defeat together. Um, so if you lose, it's more akin to a solo game. You, you, you can still enjoy the journey and not take, you know, you don't need the glory of the victory. Um, obviously, you don't, in a multiplayer game, you don't all need to win to enjoy it because only one person is going to win in a six-player game. It doesn't mean only one person have fun. But with a solo game, it's more about, you know, the game's got to deliver the experience. In a multiplayer game, there's a lot of, the experience of the game can be delivered above the table in, in just making players interact in different ways. Mm -hmm. Whereas in a solo game, you're not interacting. You don't have that, you know, like, you know, like a bidding mechanism is naturally good because it gets players playing with each other. A solo game has to do something different. It has to deliver story, drama, excitement, just from raw mechanics, which is very mm -hmm. hard to do. Um, 
So yeah, I'm rambling again. Well, but yeah, no, no, I mean, I think that, yeah, that, that's a really articulate point. I mean, I think that leads very well. So we did have a design discussion in uh, mind, and it is specific to solo design, right? So we can definitely lead right into it. Uh, we are absolutely, thank you so much for the update on uh, your very fine game, <laughs> your very fun game, uh, which I play every once in a while. I try to whip it out every once in a while. And when I want, like, I, I always like say, okay, I want to play Mage Knight. I'm not setting all that up. Let me just get a, <laughs> do a Renegade. <laughs> Gives me a similar vibe. Um, so, but it, it is not going to go away. We are going to rebrand it and we are going to see it again at some point in 2021. So that's very good news. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, let us turn to our quote unquote design discussion. Uh, fans of the one-stop co-op shop will be very familiar with design discussion. I don't know anything about design, so I'm going to try to uh, minimize my input. But Ricky did say, start to say a lot about solo design and the mindset of solo design and how, the, and how solo designers have to come at it with a different set of presuppositions and different goals. Like you said before, like, okay, I have a checklist of what I want. It isn't necessary that what's on the solo checklist will be on the the you know, a game that's designed for multiplayer. So yeah. I guess I'll, I'll begin with Tristan. You mentioned before you designed like, um, you know, you des your designs tend to be, except for the, the historical card games, they tend to be solo games designed up, right? Is that fair? Uh, yeah, all of our games have, have solo rules. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a big solo of, okay. game. It's, it's super important. That's, I guess that's a, a good distinction. Like, okay, there are games with solo rules, but then there are designed for solo games, right? So maybe you can, can you maybe articulate, you should, you're nodding your head, so I assume you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you <laughs> yeah, can yeah. articulate the difference, like the different mindset as you approach those two things. Sure. Um, well, as a big solo player myself, I, I love to play solo games. And, and I think for playtesting your own game, it's a lot more fun if it's a solo game, you know, if it, if it, if it plays well solo, you know. And, and I, so that's definitely a, an early consideration for me in, in any game design. Um, the only time it wasn't was when I did the history card games, 1066 and 1565. Um, but uh, quickly the community started saying, where are the solo rules kind of thing. And um, one of the lads on board game, Paul Ibs, generated a whole solo rule set for it, uh, for how to how to play against the, the, how to play a two player card game solo kind of thing. And I was really impressed by it because Whenever I see uh, solo sort of AI rules and flowcharts and things like in GMT games, like in Labyrinth and stuff like that, that always like breaks my head. I'm like, gosh, you know, how, <laughs> how crazy, you know, the, uh, no, in, in a good way, like with Labyrinth, it took me about three days to learn how to play it. And then it took about another three days to learn how to play the, the solo bot rules as well. And uh, it is very much like almost two separate games. And so for me, if a game sort of naturally, naturally lends itself to solo, I, I find that, uh, that sort of, much more natural and much easier uh, in, in terms of the design process. Like Gloom of Killforth is, a, it's like a role-playing fantasy adventure game for one to four players. And the, the scaling is, is fairly simple. You know, it plays the same way, uh, however many players there are. And if it's cooperative, it gets harder because the more players, the more baddies kind of thing. Um, but, but any, any player that game can be played solo with just one character very easily. And, um, same with Veil Wraith. Uh, it was primarily designed as a solo player game, and then I realized oh, I could scale this out to, to multiple players. Um, so, I, and I get you, I'd take your point about the difference between 
solo games specifically and games with solo rules added on you see that on kickstarters quite a lot you know if you if we hit the stretch goal we'll we'll throw in some solo throw rules in some and solo. there you go <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it plays the same way but you got to score 50 points um, you know and and i think people can tell the difference you know they can tell if it's if it's been if it's been lovingly put together like the like the gmt games like uh, the the bots with the incredible flowcharts all over the place or if it just naturally lends itself to, to that sort of solo gameplay and it, and it doesn't have you know pages and pages of exceptions like oh if you know if you want to play solo you, you can play solo but you have to do this so you have to play three heroes or you have to you know um just ignore all this part of the game and just chuck all that back in the box and you know i i definitely prefer not feeling like i've had something taken away you know as a solo player if i buy a game right. i don't want to think oh well those you know those tiles or that deck of cards or you know these characters mm-hmm. those have to go over there i can't use those for the solo play so um, I, I'm, I'm definitely rambling as well now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess, okay, so we can go back to Ricky because you, po- you originally posed this question, right? Uh, about solo design and how solo designers have a, like they, like solo or solo designs, like want to encourage different, you know, uh, experiences. So like, you know, a solo design will encourage a sense of analysis paralysis. Like that's the bad way to put it. But like, you know, there's a lot of like soloists, like, you know, what's the number one game? Mage Knight. What do we like to do in Mage Knight? We want to sit there in front of a city for 45 minutes, look at our cards and, you know, uh, conquer the city, which, <laughs> which is a terrible thing to do <laughs> to a, in a multiplayer scenario. And I'm, and I'm sure you had a couple of other uh, scenarios that you were playing in your mind as well. So maybe you can articulate uh, why, what, specifically you wanted to address with this question yeah well it came to um when yeah trying to design i'm trying to i work i've got a, a contract for a new game with um triple games who are a company in the uk um and it's it was strange because i primarily designed it as a multiplayer game and i'm thinking about and in my head i'm thinking this is naturally a solo game but it's that building that checklist and then i was and so i'm, I'm trying to understand the differences between a solo and a multiplayer game and like you said, like you, used, like you identified the term analysis paralysis, and that is a, a term which is, is generally used in a, in a negative way. But in a solo game, it's not. It's very much a positive th- thing. It's like with um, like I was playing Valrath earlier, and Valrath is a very fast-paced game. It's a solo <laughs> game, and you can whip through it. But every now and again, it 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 breaks tempo, and you stop, and you think, ah. What am I going to do now? And you hit that analysis paralysis, paralysis moment, but it's not a bad thing. Those are the moments that the yeah. soloists love and, and cherish because you're, you're going through the game and you're waiting for that moment where the, it's building, it's building, it's building the tension, the tension, and then suddenly, ah, you're hit with this massive problem to solve. And then Valrath makes you stop and study it. In a multiplayer game, everyone's like looking at their watch. Come on, mate, it's your turn. Crack it on. <laughs> but in a solo game, you can get up, you can walk away, you can think, oh, what am I going to do? You can look at your hand and it's, and those are juicy moments. Those are the good moments. You know, you, you mentioned the chess set sitting behind me. You can sit and study that and not a piece will move, but it's, it's fun. You're, right. you're solving and you Right, you, you're you're playing the trees out, you know, like okay, yeah, you're moving over it, and major potential. You can sit with your hand, and you can, you know, and you can. What am I going to do if I play this? Or I play that. If I play this, and that's that's something that solo games can deliver, 
without the negativity of analysis paralysis. And you've got to, and, and one of the difficult things, and I, I don't know, um, is, is having a game that does play solo and multiplayer, because you've got to balance those things. You've got to give something for the soloist, and you've got to make sure that the multiplayer game keeps mm -hmm. flowing along. Um, so I yeah, it's like, very difficult mm -hmm. problems. I mean, one of the other things I was thinking about was, um, was balance and again we can talk about Bellwraith and how in a multiplayer game balance is, is gold dust because everybody wants to feel that they've been delivered the same fairness right you've not won because you got dealt that rank four card and I only got the rank two um, everyone's on the level playing field but in a solo game it doesn't it doesn't matter from you know it, it doesn't matter from one game to the next whether it's, it's a little bit harder, a little bit easier. Maybe for some people it, do, it does. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, I talked about how solo games want to deliver a story, for example. And when you're reading a book, you don't want to read, this, read the same book again and again. You want a different story every time, right? Because that's what you want. And you want that from a, from a solo game too. Every time you play, you want it to tell a different story. Um, so that's really important. And like with, with Valray, Tristan talked about how when I play the same vignette again, I might get a level four fighter, whereas last time I only got a level two. And in a multiplayer game, you might say, that's not fair, you got a four. In a solo game, it's fine. It's just delivered <laughs> you a story, a different peak, right. a different trough. And if you take, if you, I like to see the, the, a, a solo game when you're playing like a wave, and if you balance it too much, that wave gets too flat and it becomes boring. Mm -hmm. What you want is lots of excitement and drama. You want those peaks and troughs where ups and downs. You want imbalance. Um, at the same time, you don't want to feel that you only won because you got this card or you, you, you know, or, or whatever. So, or, or a roll of the dice went a different way. But those are dramatic moments in a solo game. They tell a story, and it doesn't really matter if you win or lose. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, what did you feel when you were designing uh, Valrave, Tristan? When you, when you, I mean, you must have been aware that. Every time you play a vignette, it may be a little bit harder or a little bit easier. Did you think yeah. about that? How did you feel as a, when you were designing it? Yeah, absolutely. I, I still feel it. Uh, even playing the vignettes today, if ever I win, I'm like, oh, gosh, you know, I've made that scenario too easy. And if I lose, I'm like, oh, gosh, I've made that scenario too hard. You know? yeah. um, what, what I hope to get to is a point where if I lose... I was this close to winning, you know, or if I won, I was this close to losing. And, you know, in, in Veilwraith, there's, there's fairly sort of broad stroke measurements for that. If you, if you win a, a vignette and you've got 20 spirit at the end of it, you know, which is your, your starting spirit, you know, something's, something's up. Um, and from a design point of view, I would immediately jump on that to bump up the, the monsters or the, the threats in, in that scenario. Um, and yeah, you, you, it's never going to be perfect. It's never going to have that perfect balance, but you want to get it as close to just uh, generating those dramatic moments where you can go, Oh God, if I'd just done this one thing, I could have won, you know, or, Oh, thank goodness that card didn't come out. Otherwise I would have lost. And that, I mean, that was hugely important for me designing Railroad specifically because, uh, and as Jason mentioned before, you can get away with it more in a game that plays this quickly because you, if you do lose, you're like, right. Okay. Just shuffle the cards. Mm -hmm. Off we go again. And if you, if you win, it's, oh, right, I'm on a roll. I go into the next one kind of thing. Um, and I think, luckily, pulling back the expectations of, of like, the, the time that I 
that you'd spend playing it. You know, if you look at something like Gloomy Killforth, which can take hours, you know, it's like a, an evening's gaming kind of thing. Um, it, it tells quite a, a detailed narrative as you go through. So there's tons of flavor text. There's all of the, the, the game design is based on like adding keywords together to weave a story and to tell a story along the way. Um, whereas Veilwraith moves at a clip and there is a story there if you want to pay attention to it or if you're more of a sort of an abstract player and you just want to solve the puzzle of it, you can do that too. Um, but because it moves so much more quickly, pouncing in on those moments and finding, as I'm playing it now, you know, finding like a, a vignette that I might think, ah, oh, yeah, I, I definitely raced through that too easily. That sounds an alarm bell for me. But then, of course, I've got to remember I've played this game a thousand times, you know, people who are coming in. So this, I know another guy who's got a, a pre-production copy and he was saying to me today, this game's so hard. How do you win? You know, and um, other play testers have just like walked through it, like the, the early, you know, the first five levels and whatever. So it's tweaking it and tweaking it and, and trying to get to that balance and, and trying to reward people uh, for feeling that they've built their deck in the right way that they've been able to tackle the threats. is really um it's a noble aspiration, but I don't know if you can ever perfectly achieve it because even somebody who has that perfect playthrough one time might play it through the next time and, and just get you know wiped out or, or walk through the game kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a hyper consideration. But I was really enjoying what you said about creating those moments of analysis paralysis as well, those tension moments that suddenly ping in where... Um, Again, sorry to hop on about Veil Race, but playing playing through it, you know, <laughs> sometimes I'm on like automatic pilot and I'm just like, do that, tilt that, you know, put that on there, add the power token and then flip the next threat. And I'm like, oh, oh, yeah. yeah. I probably yeah. shouldn't have done what I did last time because now I've generated a pickle, you know, for myself. And uh, how am I going to get out of this one? And I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to use combining and playing memories and using action and power tokens and, and hopefully getting a modicum of that feeling that you have when you play mage night you know where you've got the you've got the tools to deal with the threat but it's how do you go about doing it to maximize your turn and follow through next turn and not you know not just blast all your cards out and take care of that threat and then next turn be absolutely screwed because you've got nothing left to take on the next thing that comes at you um it's, it's a lofty goal but it's it like in um kill jason have you played have you played as the kill fourth do you say or you're going oh, yeah. to mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's like you know, you get the the deck of cards, and you might be in the in the mountains, and in that deck of cards, you know, there's going to be some easy monsters, and there's going to be some tough monsters. In a solo game, having all those in a single deck is is fine because you might pull a bad one, you might pull an easy one, right. but as long I get the balance is that they're evenly distributed. In a multiplayer game, it you might have to do something different from a design perspective because if your two players are pulling from the same deck, one guy pulls the the dragon, the one monster, guy pulls the kobold. The girl <laughs> next to you gets the easy monster. You'll go, that wasn't fair. But in a solo game, it's kind of fine because it creates that mm-hmm. that drama and, and yes, and excitement. So you've got, I think, what? But what's difficult is what do you do when you when you're designing a game that has to play both ways. Um, solo and multiplayer and like, that's that was the that's kind of what made me think i'm like <laughs> right. uh, i can't use the same tricks in a multi that i'm used when a multiplayer game because suddenly analysis paralysis becomes bad and these swingy things become bad mm-hmm. that were good in a solo game with regard to the analysis paralysis things i remember I, i've been trying to kind of mull it over and i'm not a designer but you know <laughs> do my best i think a useful thing is a dist- to distinguish depth from complexity. 
So right. in the sense that like depth is what we're talking about. Depth is what the, that, that deep experience, like I'm seeing the decision trees and I'm seeing, you know, this could go here and this could go like when you reach that depth point and that's, that's where you really want to be in a game. And so the question is how you achieve that. And a lot of games achieve it. I think of Mage Knight achieves it with a high level of complexity. Right. So like you could be on your fifth, sixth, 10th game and still like, Ooh, that's a real, I, I'm not clear on that. Let me go back to the rule book or, or something. Let me go back to Ricky Royal's video, which has like a million views because that's the video to go to whenever you want to know the rules. So you're talking I about think, fire ice block here. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I still have to I've look never, that up every single time I play mage net. I'm like fire ice <laughs> block. <How? laughs> right. Exactly. So like you have terminology, you have like the, the coalescing of terminology because if it's separate, it means one thing, but if it's together, it works a slightly differently. So I feel like the mage Knight is able to achieve its depth with a high degree of complexity and a soloist will that we're fine, you know, because you're thinking almost on two levels. Like you're thinking of like, parsing out the rule and then parsing out what you're doing in your decision right. space. That's and I feel like in a multiplayer game, there's less patience or you can't assume as much patience with the complexity, but you still want to get people to that depth point. So I think mm -hmm. that's the, so I think the idea is that you want to get them as deep as possible with as light a complex barrier as possible. If that, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, sure. Or a lighter, you know, so like if there's a, if there's a, a choice, in your design of like, okay, do I do the more complex or the less complex thing? Maybe if you're leaning multiplayer, do the less complex thing, it may not get you to that truly, you know, rich point of puzzle solving that you want, but you know, maybe that, so I'm, I'm imagining a system of trade-off if, if that makes sense. I guess the other thing you can do in a multiplayer game is if you do deliver those moments where a player is having to think about what they're doing, the other players, they also need to be engaged so if it's a game like chess here, when you're mulling over what you can do, your opponent can be mulling over what they're going to do next. So in a multiplayer game, you have to present um, a, a game state that allows everybody to be engaged at any, at any moment in time, even right. if someone's taking a long time over their turn. So I think that's the thing to try and to do. If, if you're going to design a game that is thinky, where people have to think, you need to make sure everyone can think <laughs> at the same time. Yeah, you don't, you don't want them having, like, uh, I know exactly what I'm going to do on my next turn, uh, and it's now 15 oh, minutes till my next turn, <laughs> so out comes a mobile phone, or, you right. know, and I'm just going to check out and not be interested in what's happening. You need people to be engaged with the, develop, the developing state of the game in between their turns, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, and so how Spirit Island did, dealt with that, so another, like, popular soloist game, how that game dealt with that is that they have, like, a, a phase where everybody's playing you're basically playing like a you have simultaneous play yeah. situation and then there's that staggered resolution so like you're kind of like you, you there's different moments of like okay we're all involved and we're all doing our thing and then it's like show and tell what did you do you know like how are you gonna affect the board state uh, who, who affects how, how did you cook up my move <laughs> <laughs> oh i thought you were gonna play that, uh, <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. so i'm wondering as a designer is that a, a potential solution where you, you know, you introduce elements of simultaneous play uh, in order to kind of keep that engagement going? Yeah, I like that idea too, because it means when you're, when you're looking for a game to tell a story, the players can help be the tellers of the story because they're all doing stuff over the top of each other. Um, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of neat. 
I'm thinking about designs now. Yeah. <laughs> Get the notepad. I got it, it. It's, it's a really elegant um, design, Spirit Island, and it, it does have that like high complexity as well that's, re- that's rewarding, as you say, for solo players, but also for multiplayers, multi- multiple players. Um, and the, the fact that you sort of tee off each other's moves and stuff, I think is really, really neat. It, it does it in a way that lots of other games can do but you're often sort of taking care of your own your own like if i think about marvel champions for example which is a new one which i really love the interaction and everything you're still very much you're all working together towards the same goal but you're still very much sort of uh, this is what i'm doing on my turn i hope you guys are doing good stuff you know um and whereas spirit and you can sort of tee off each other a little more with the way that they uh you interact with the island and all the different yeah. mini puzzles that each sort of set of conquistadors or cities or towns you know gives you each problem that that they present i'll give um, you a plus one damage to your lighting with my fast yeah so i'll, I'll make you go through. fast this turn you're the slow dude you're the earth guy or whatever i'm the, the nippy lightning guy I'll, I'll make you go fast and that's going to completely change your game because you'll be like oh well in that case i'm going to do the the epic smash attack or whatever that takes ages normally now i'm going to do it before they even get a chance to you know before the baddies get a go kind of thing um, so there are some great discussions, but it, it does dovetail back to um, what Richard was saying about analysis paralysis, because then you've got analysis paralysis multiplied by the number of players. You know, so, <laughs> so that's like it. I, I mean, it could just be our group, but that's like the, that's that's the game for the night if we're going to play Spirit Island, because you you know you are engaged yeah. with it for the whole I, evening. I guess what you're trying to but, get is the analysis without the paralysis, right? Like you're trying to like in the paralysis to me. In my experience, because I guess I'm just like, I'm like Tristan, I'm, like, I'm very thematic. Like it'll take me 20 minutes to describe like the actual game. I'm too busy telling the story. But like, <laughs> so where I get the paralysis part is on that complexity. Like if I'm, if I'm in the rules and I was, I was, I took Gloom of Kill for a thought, I was about to film the review and there was some parts of it where it's like, oh, when does the plot cards come out? When did you know, all that, <laughs> you know, I mean, but like, I mean, you eventually get past that. It's not a, it's not a complex game, but games also kind of multiply that out where it's like, this is where, this is what's catching me. And I'm not being caught by the decision space. That's the good stuff. I'm being caught by, am I spending too much time interpreting? And as a soloist, I think there's a lot more room to be forgiving of that. We're in a multiplayer that they're more likely to just kind of chuck that at that complexity level, not necessarily at the decision space. That makes sense. Yeah, that's a good point. I guess the only thing you've got going for you with a multiplayer game is that players can help each other out with the rules and that kind of compensates a little bit but yeah i hadn't thought about that before it's a good point jason that you know you because getting caught up in just how i playing the game right is not quite as much fun as how i playing the game well and trying to win yeah and that's amplified if in a multiplayer game certainly um cooperatively it's not as bad because you, you're pulling each other up but competitively you know there's yeah. nothing worse than going someone oh you know you can't do that no you can't do that no. Page, page 16 rule 48 says that uh, you you have to lose this skirmish or whatever. so tristan when you did um when you did 1066 and then you did um 1565 for 1066 forgive me it feels i mean it felt like the solo rules kind of came a little bit later but when you did 1565 do you feel that you you gave it feels like the solo rules are a lot more um sophisticated like the just the choices that you made in what went on the cards and i know you tweaked the rules a little bit but it i don't know it was, i can't put my finger it just played a little bit sweeter 1565 did you did you i don't know 
designers are thinking more about solo games, but obviously you're naturally a solo game designer. Um, when you, you're, you've got a third one in the series coming, right? 1815, scum of the earth. Yes. <laughs> has, has your thinking about how to, because it's the same system, have you changed the way you think about the solar rules in this? Has it evolved in any way or are, are any lessons that you've learned from the previous two? Yeah. Um, so first of all, I can't take credit for the solo rules for 1066. Paul Ibs came up with the, the main design for them. I sort of helped him refine it and stuff, but I, it's very much his, you know, uh, his work that I've worked on. Uh, with 1565, by the time 1565 came out, we had a lot of opportunities to um, work out the nuts and bolts of how it worked and how people responded to the solo abilities and cards. Uh, there are a lot more card abilities in 1565 that weren't in 1066 so you had cannons and right. um bold units which can take over enemy cards and you know bring them onto their side and all this kind of stuff so there's a lot more there's a lot more ways of interacting with the foe with it you know the ai the the solo bot sort of rules um so certainly 1815 will need to have solo rules that that fit in with how people are used to playing it um one of the things I was thinking of is, and I don't know whether this will come about, but I, I had some ideas about a, a different take on the solo play, like how I, how I would approach it if I was designing it from the ground up, and it would potentially address one of the criticisms leveled at the solo rules, which is that at the moment in the early stages, if you're playing on the easier levels, the foe will do s s sort of very similar actions each round it will play the lowest cost cards in the deck mm -hmm. and those like a zero cost cards basically and when he's setting up the game i almost thought about including some rules saying get all of the zero level you know the zero cost cards shuffle them and stick them on top of the deck because you're going to need those first rather than going through the deck every time to get to them sort of thing so i was trying to think about ways to address that and um take away the uh sort of the hassle you know of rooting through the deck for the cards that you need at that particular moment and one of the simpler ideas that i came up with was that you don't worry too much about the cost of the cards it just plays what it plays and what it means is you could get a five cost card coming out very early but then it will be staggered down the line because you get the zero cost cards coming out later and that, i mean that's a hugely simplified uh, I don't want to get too much into the details because I haven't finished what I, <laughs> I'm doing with it at the moment. But um, basically, I want to sort of, again, reduce the barrier to entry and reduce the barrier to, to play whilst you're playing. I don't want you shuffling the whole deck and, or, you know, surfing through the whole deck and then flipping it over and, and waiting for it to, uh, for the photo reset and stuff. So there are a couple of things that I would potentially change or look at changing. But one thing I'm keenly aware of is the people there are people that don't like the solo play and there are a lot of people that really do like the solo rules for both mm -hmm. those games. So we'll have to make sure that 1815 definitely caters for the people that do mm. and maybe have like a variant, you know, this is also how you can play it. Um, but no promises in that because it might come to nothing given how much I've got on my plate at the moment. Um, but yeah, I, I, I was just trying to think of ways that would make it quicker and simpler for people to get into and play. Um, uh, you mentioned in 5065 the idea of because you have a lot of cards that specify solo right like yes. you know, the card works multiplayer this but solo this and i guess i'll ask ricky what do you think of that as a solution to some of your issues where let's say in a solo game like the solo rules 
have that whoosh, 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 but then like, like, and then the multiplayer card works differently. So like in a solo game, this is a, a five monster. And then in a multiplayer game, it's a three monster or something. Is that something that you've addressed or is that not going to be fruitful? I think that's a, that's a good idea. Yeah, that's a good idea, Jason. Because, I mean, I know, Tristan, you said that when you play a solo game, you want to feel like you're playing the same game as a multiplayer. But I don't, I don't think that's always that important. I mean, sometimes games can be interesting when they play differently different player counts, you know, a two player game of Pax Premier second edition is different to a three player and a four player. And that's kind of fine. And I think it's kind of fine if a solo game plays different, you know, different player counts can be interesting. Um, I, think I don't mind so much the idea that it, um, it could play differently, but I do, I don't like the idea. I don't want to feel like I, I can't use parts of the game, you know, like it's um, like stuff is being taken away from me as a solo player like uh, here you could have you could have played with a little this deck of cards but this deck of cards doesn't work in solo play which is actually one of the reasons why 1565 has has those rather than like the the initial solution was take all these cards out of your deck because th they wouldn't work in solo play and i was like nah, i can't i, I don't want i don't <laughs> want solo players to buy 1066 get the game and be like ah oh, i'll just have to you know literally yeah, exactly take these that, cards because yeah. this one says look at your opponent's hand choose two cards you know and chuck them sort of thing i don't want a solo player to either look at the foe's hand it doesn't actually have one but you know and make those weird choices or have the have the foe look at their own hand and make that choice you know so that was very much why uh, we added the solo rules on, on the cards that say basically n normally the foe would look at your hand and choose two and you discard one because you're playing solo you know boom take damage to the wedge or, or something like that wrong wrong puts you a little bit um yeah, I, yeah and it was it was crucial to me that nothing was taken away from you for being a solo player. We're, we're psych psychologically, we're a funny bunch of gamers because <laughs> it, it, you, you've made a point I think is, I've, I would feel the same way. You don't want to lose components, but earlier we were talking about Veilwraith and the deck construction and or Arkham Horror and the deck construction. When you're playing those games, half the game's in the box and you're not playing with it. Like with Velray, you know, you've got this big stack of cards that I've never even played with because <laughs> I just won't ever get to build them into my deck. But we don't feel the same way because it's meant to be that way. Right. Um, I guess because, because that's, that's the same. Later, yeah. You will get to them. And Maybe. if you if you're playing multiplayer, you would also still get to them at the same rate. You know, you'd still discover them at the same rate. If I mean, that's if you played all, you know, 20 scenarios or whatever. But no, I, I take your point. That's what you're saying. Yeah. But we are a funny bunch, just like you were saying about yeah. how games never complete. But as a gamer, when you buy a game, you want this thing that's in the box to be, you want to know that this is the complete and final version. But you know, if you buy Sierra Madre games and, they, and Lecklen puts his living rules up on a website, that game's never, it's always evolving. <laughs> and <laughs> well, solo I, I rules as well. I noticed that the solo rules evolve a lot on Eklan games. So I was thinking about it, like, and I, this was a question comes up a couple of times uh, in like forums and stuff, but like, are there games that just play as well at all the player counts that are listed in the box? Right. So I think of, um, I mean, so it's like Terraform Mars, right? So like Terraform Mars plays great at one because it's a different game at one. It is, you are beating a high score and you have to do the thing. And I, I love that. And then it becomes, and then you get to two. And it becomes a very different experience. Like now you're going back and forth and blah, blah, blah. And then two, three, four, it, it's, you know, you know, cause depending on if you're using the drafting or whatever, and then we get to five, it's like terrible because it's, 
because you're, you're doing the analysis thing and people are always thinking of their stuff. And I was thinking about, I was like, is there, are there really games that do all the player counts well, especially if it incorporates the one without changing the game, you know, like, a, like giving you a different game at, at one. I couldn't think of any. I couldn't think of one that's just like smooth, well, you know, like, satisfying. Can at think all of the, the only ones I can think of that I love at loads of player counts are not soloable. <laughs> so like Eclipse, you know, you play that at two players or nine players. It's a brilliant game. Seven Wonders, two players or seven players, anywhere in between. It's a brilliant game. But they're not soloable games. So it's not really, <laughs> it's here us to talk about them in this discussion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. So are you trying to move a mountain, Ricky? <laughs> yeah, there's only, one, there's only one player count, Jason. You know this. Yes, I do. <laughs> I've known it for years. <laughs> but no, it's great to see so many, um, so many um, discussions about solo rules and, and, it, and it getting more attention because it is, um, I, think, I think you've summed it up well, Tristan, with it saying it, it's, it's like an art form because you are trying to tell a, a good story. And, and it's become something, especially... This year, I think a lot of people have found solo gaming and found a new way to enjoy um, board games. And it doesn't have to be, you know, our, our games the same at different player counts. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a different experience. Um, playing a game on your own is a different experience to a multiplayer game. I love playing multiplayer games, but it, then the people I'm with become more important than the game itself. And, and I know that sounds strange coming from someone who... You know, I, I, I can play a rubbish game with multiple people because sometimes it's just fun to be around people. Um, but when I'm reading a book, I don't want people leaning over my shoulder. And when I'm playing Mage Knight, I want it all to myself. You know, it's a different art form. And I think, um, yeah, it's been a, been, been a year where lots of people have been discovering it. And it's good to be talking to lots of different new people and lots of people... Um, new new subscribers to 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 my channel and you're doing new things jason and with the top 200 and lots more people voting this year and getting mm. involved in um the solo gaming scene it's it's good to, it's good it's good to, to see yeah. people especially when you know it 15 years ago it was there was a, definitely a stigma attached to it yeah. you know and I used to post up solo rules for all kinds of games like Hero Quest and Space Crusade and all these old games, and um, and you'd you I would get like vilified for it, like get, you know, get some friends, go and play some mates, why would you play a solo game? And, you know, or, or Descent Journeys in the Dark. I posted up video some solo rules for that. And, yeah, but why, why would you play a board game when you play a video? Game? Um, but yeah, no, it's it's been really lovely seeing like the the explosion of of solo gaming as it is now and. And especially as you say, this year with, with lockdown and stuff. And in fact, we um, we had a, a Discord chat um, with lots of gamers from over the weekend of UK Games Expo this year uh, because obviously we couldn't meet in person and listen to some of their stories about how solo gaming helped them and stuff. And and going through um, some people having like really bad situations and really difficult family situations and bereavements and things, and saying how solo gaming helped them get through that you know because it's it's such a distraction and i always i always think of this when i'm watching tv um because my mind tends to wander and uh, if it unless it's unless it's a program i'm completely and utterly engrossed in which is getting rarer these days i'm like you know i could be playing a game or, or writing or, or, or doing something you know uh, more stimulating and, and playing a board game t like occupies so much of your brain space 
it takes away a lot of outside mm -hmm. worries and outside yeah. cares. There's no room for it because you're, you know, you're, you're thinking about your next move or you're, you know, you're planning, you know, against the next threat or whatever's coming at you kind of thing. And, and I can lose, if I get into it, I can lose hours and hours on, on solo gaming. And, you know, Mage Night, I'm the kind of person who'll finish a game of Mage Night and go, right, set it up and have another go. And then, no way, <laughs> never. I'm that's done. Like, <laughs> Good. I'm done for the year. Um, but, I, but I will do that. And I, I'll log, you know, I've, I've, I've played that game over a hundred times easily. And, and I'll, I'll, come up, I'll come up out of the latest game and the sun will be coming up, you know, and I'm like, oh, crud. <laughs> which, which isn't too bad these days now that I, I keep my own hours, but it was terrible when I'd have to go to work and, you know, <laughs> an hour's time kind of thing. Uh, but it, it, it does occupy your brain space and it gives you a feeling of, um, it, it, even if you're not designing a game, it gives you that feeling of creativity because you're creating the, the story of, of whatever world you're experiencing. I, obviously talking about thematic games, which is kind of what, <laughs> well what all of my games are but uh, you know the, having engaging in a story or engaging in uh, a puzzle and and just being completely preoccupied by that and it was really yeah it was really interesting to hear people talking about how it helped them get through these difficult situations because it occupied so much brain space and and in a way that reading or passively being entertained by tv just just doesn't yeah and i think and maybe another um um thing that's come to prominence is people playing online as well with like um, Tabletopia, tab Tabletop um, Simulator. Um, for me, I don't, I don't tend to enjoy those things personally, but a lot, I know that's something that a lot of people have, have been enjoying and it's been bringing people from all corners of the globe together to play together, um, which has been really great to see. I'm not, I like, I'm a very tactile person. I like board games because I like to pick up the pieces and, and shuffle them about. And I, I like, that's why I like, like chip theory games because it's all about the, the clanking of the bits. Yes. Yeah. But, um, and also my computer's rubbish, so I can't play simulator. <laughs> but it's great. It, uh, that's something that's been really prominent um, in this last um, six months or so. For sure. When, um, when game night stopped, you know, I've not seen the lads since I don't think last year now as I moved house last year as well. And, um, it briefly became a weekly online zoom chat coupled with an online game of scythe. They've, they've done a really good digital implementation oh, yeah. of scythe on, on steam. Um, and we played that uh, five or six weeks in a row, you know, and until everybody got a bit sick of it kind of thing. Uh, and that evolved. Then one of the guys said, what if I run a D and D campaign? And I was like, Dungeons and Dragons. I've not played, role-playing games for 25 years or something. And um, and so ironically, like I designed Gloomer Killforth because I couldn't play role-playing games anymore. I didn't have a group, I didn't have the time. And and uh, and now I'm six months into two separate Dungeons and Dragons campaigns for the first time since I was a teenager oh, yeah. uh, online. And, you know, we, we play on D&D &D Beyond. And one of them's, one of them's my old... Um, mates from when I was a teenager who, who we've all got back together again and we're playing second edition dungeons, like advanced Dungeons and Dragons, which is like really proper old school. It's got these crazy old clunky rules and stuff. Thacko, baby. And Thacko, oh my God. <laughs> and rediscovering that and like just scratching my head all the time. Like, what? And the, and the rule book's hilarious because there's no references or anything. It's like, they're that thick and what, what you need to know is somewhere in there and you've just got to read it. You've got to read the whole thing. Um, but then my younger mates have put together a, a fifth edition 
uh, AD&D campaign. And uh, so, so I play fifth, fifth edition on Monday nights, second edition on Tuesday nights. And it's brilliant going between the two and seeing how much of a, how much of a board game kind of thing fifth edition is. Right. You know, all the classes are balanced. If you're a warlock, you're, you know, you're powerful at first level. If you're a thief, you can do stuff and, and all these things. And then playing second edition on, on Tuesday, it's like, now the thief isn't going to be able to do anything until like fifth level. And the wizard, you know, forget about it until he gets fireball kind of thing. We'll just, we'll let the warrior do everything for now. Um, but it's been, it's been brilliant rediscovering uh, role-playing games for the first time. Ironically, without being around people, you know, having to do it online rather than meeting up, which was always it was always my barrier was like, oh, we'll, n- we'll never get a group together often enough to, to play an RPG. And now, no, <laughs> now I'm playing two. <laughs> what about you, Jason? Have you been doing more online gaming or any, no. anything? Not no, at all. I'm not. I, I spend my whole life on Zoom. Like, uh, cause I do ther- uh, psychotherapy and it's all telehealth. Okay. You know, so I'm, I'm talking, I'm doing this basically all day. And the last thing I want to do is spend, which is ironic because we've spent the, over an hour talking on Zoom <laughs> over here. <laughs> We've not even got started, Jason. <laughs> I know. I, or, or like the last thing I want to do is like staring at something else that's just not a person that I love and, and cherish. Like, you know, I, I don't want to solve puzzles. I don't want to like, you know, I, I've been reading more actually. I've, I've been reading a lot more. I've been reading, you know, it's like my, my guy, guy, guy over here does the files and just finished up the Expanse books. Now I'm um, uh, next week, uh, the Brandon Sanderson book, The Stormlight Archive, is coming out with another big fat tome. It'll keep me busy. Um, and, you know, like fi- firing up the channel, like, I, like, like Tristan was saying, like I will still play a, a physical solo game. Like, you know, that's still, like, you know, playing through Gloom and Killforth uh, was a pleasure. You know, not even no, <laughs> no bones about it. Like, play, play, I was playing that, I think it was last night or the night before. And it was nice. It was like, okay, I looked up and it was like, all of a sudden two, hour, two and a half hours were gone. Because, you know, I, didn't mind, you know. <laughs> uh, but, no, the, but the online is tough for me. It really is. I, I, like, um, as a matter of fact, we're trying to get a Pandemic Legacy Season Zero game together. And I played Season 2 online. And I loved Season 2. I really did. But just playing online, I just felt that distance. Right. You know, I don't get depth when I'm online. Yeah. And it, and it dovetails back to what Richard was saying about having the actual components. It's, it's, such, it's, it's a pleasure having you know playing with the shuffling cards and rolling dice and having the, the chits and tokens and stuff mm-hmm. just today a couple more gmt games arrived today space empires and um ancient civilizations of the inner sea and i spent like an hour just punching out the tokens or bagging them up and stuff and, and even that's a pleasure because it's yes. part of the, the collecting nature and i think maybe this is because our generation we had cds dvds you know and we collected all those kinds of things and those were all you know they're all on your phone now so you don't have you can't identify who someone is by walking into the room and looking at their music collection because you know it's not on display in the same way it was and i think because you know hobbyists want to be able to collect stuff and have things and tactile things and a lot of that is lost in the in the digital versions you know well it's ironic that i am the person that has to call it and say (laughs) because i got kids that are about to go to sleep uh, and it is fast midnight over uh, across the pond too. And I hear my, 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 I don't know if you guys hear on the video, my daughter is like singing, she's doing something up there. <laughs> she goes, go check in on her. Uh, but it has been an absolute pleasure to catch up. This is everything that I thought it was going to be. I hope that you got some, hope that we uh, addressed your question in, in, in ways, uh, which was fun. And as a matter of fact, you know, I mean, moving forward, I, you are absolutely welcome 
both of you actually, if you have an interesting question or have something to contribute, please hit me up. I mean, I'm going to be doing this, you know, uh, and with different people, different permutations. Like I remember you were on the call with Mike Mullins and Keith Mateka, which people still download and listen to that one because it was about solo variant design. And, you know, and it was, it was just three different interesting people just talking, you know, so I, I absolutely want to, you know, keep this going. Uh, and so, you know, we are, we're looking forward to the future. Uh, you know, t Q1, 2021, we are getting bail rate. Uh, Q question mark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very much. <laughs> uh, but you do have some oh, code designs. name Lemonade. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but you do have some solo designs coming. Uh, uh, like solo parts of some other games. Is there anything imminent that we should look out for? Um, not imminent. I just I did one recently for um, Origin of the Species, which which I did off of my own back, and the, the guys really liked it. So they 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 spoke to the publishing about putting that in the next edition. That was really good. If you played that game, it's one of my highlights of the year. Really loved the the theme and uh, putting the solo rules together was was great fun. Really enjoyed that. So look out for that one. Yeah. Nice. And also Tristan uh, has as a. 15, 18 something scum of the earth what is that 1815 it's the uh, the battle of waterloo yes yeah 1815 scum of the earth. get the picture of napoleon and as usual with tristan hall nothing games art out the yin yang <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah they, we're so lucky to have like incredible artists you know it's mm -hmm. uh, it's it's a joy to to think of an idea and then have one of these guys make it so much more amazing than it than it is mad kind of thing you know um yeah the, the games are they're very pretty that's what I like about your games. It's like I, I mentioned earlier, I was doing a game with um, Triple A's. I've not, I'm, I'm not revealing very much yet because it's it's early days. But the one of the most prominent things about the game will be the artwork, um, and I'm really looking forward to that because it's not something I can do. And when you when you watch somebody else um, translate your ideas into real things yeah. and real art that you can see and touch, make it beautiful. It's, it makes you smile. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. So I hope you enjoyed that shelf story. Thank you so much to Tristan and Ricky for spending their time uh, and sharing about their games and, and their love of solo gaming. Um, we are not only a solo channel, but it is something that is very near and dear to my heart in particular and to these, to these gentlemen as well. So thank you very, very much. And we'll yeah, see you around. Thanks for all you do, Jason. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks so much for having us. Enjoyed it. Have a good work. All right. Later, everybody. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop. Or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another Top 5 list.